They've put a lot of work into coming here and it isn't an accident or a coincidence in the slightest. Work isn't everything. You're a human being who needs to function and, you know, not just function, you need to be thriving outside of work. Hello and welcome to Slice in Time with me, Linda, host and creator of Woodlimps, What I Didn't Learn in Medical School, a platform for discussing topics crucial to health that are typically not taught, glossed over or approached from the wrong angles in medicine and public discourse. As always, stay in touch and keep up to date by following Woodlimps on Instagram and Twitter. You'll find comprehensive show notes with references and further reading related to this episode and more content on my website, lindadoes.com forward slash Woodlimps24 for this particular episode. Please note that this is a podcast for education and entertainment purposes only and should not be taken as individual advice. This is my first solo recording in a long time and it is a bit of a different episode. I started this podcast in the summer of 2020 while I was a medical student and I usually cover topics related to health and illness. But this episode is going to be about my tips for new doctors after one year working as one myself. What I didn't learn in medical school about being a junior doctor. While I realise I'm still junior in my role, I do feel I have some useful knowledge to share. Just a disclaimer, I work in England at the moment, so what I say may not apply to everyone. The accuracy of the information I share may also change with time, so do check out the latest guidance and regulations. In about 30 minutes, I will be covering general tips that I think are important in two broad areas. Life at work and life around work, so things that are practical to working on the wards and also other aspects of the job to consider. Check out the description for timestamps of the different topics so you can jump to whatever you would like to listen to most. We'll be covering all sorts of things like your rights as a doctor in terms of pay, leave and breaks, how to look after your own health, what is expected of you and what isn't, working within teams and how to deal with difficult scenarios that you may encounter and lots of other things. I really hope this is a reassuring and comforting lesson for you. Let's get right into it. So part one, all about preparing for FY1, so that's foundation year one and stuff around your actual working day. So we'll cover feelings around starting work, making the most of the shadowing period, What do seniors expect from an F1? Different resources I would recommend. Your rights, so very important stuff like pay, pay slips, your contracts, your voters, working on your portfolio, when and how to ask for help and taking care of your own health during F1. So first of all, congratulations, well done for securing such a special job. Being a doctor is a privilege and the good moments are always really good. However, the lows are also low. And right now, I think it's probably an extra difficult time to be joining the National Health Service. So I'll do my best to give you some tips and comforting words to navigate you through your first year as a doctor. Bearing in mind, I'm only just finishing my own first year of work. I've got my last shift tomorrow. And, you know, sometimes I feel like I've learned absolutely nothing. And other times I look back at myself and I feel so proud. I have learned some things. So my favourite thing about this year has been getting to work with some wonderful colleagues, the feeling of teamwork and, you know, making some friends for life. I've also had many rewarding moments one-to-one with patients and family members and I love being able to help and know that I'm actually making a difference to somebody no matter how small it may feel. I think it's very normal to feel terrified and unprepared for starting work. If you're feeling like it's all gone terribly wrong and you're not supposed to be where you are, don't worry. You've made it this far for a reason and that reason is that you're safe to start working as a junior doctor. 
nothing can fully prepare you for work you're going to learn on the job and I'm presently definitely learning every day still imposter syndrome is real and I think you just have to go for it and just start doing the things that you're meant to do so when you look back at your progress over the next weeks and months you'll definitely notice that you have made some progress I myself sometimes have pinch me moments and I don't think it completely has sunk in yet that I'm working as a doctor, but I am and so will you be and it will be petrifying but exciting and you will make such rapid progress in the space of 12 months. I think what helps with dealing with imposter syndrome is reflecting on what you've learned and also talking about it with colleagues. I guarantee you that most of the other new junior doctors will feel the same. So talk it out, but know that you have earned the right to be here through your hard work and dedication and all your studying. It can also be helpful to voice your fears and worries or to write them down if you like journaling. For example, you might be very scared of making mistakes and in particular making fatal mistakes. And you just have to accept that mistakes can and will happen. And there are things that you can do to help mitigate them. But everybody makes mistakes, especially when you're stretched thin, stressed, tired, and you just have to accept that and do your best to prevent such circumstances to arise. So for example, you know, practice within your remit, make sure that you're comfortable, talk through things with the senior, double check your prescriptions. That's just general advice. It is scary and you can and you will do it and you're worthy of the title of Doctor of Medicine because you've put a lot of work into coming here and it isn't an accident or a coincidence in the slightest. Making the most of your shadowing. So by the time I release this uh, episode recording it's probably going to be a little bit too late for this year's cohort because shadowing is pretty much over. But essentially my main point about shadowing would be that it really isn't going to prepare you completely. It's very useful, but if you're still feeling nervous and unprepared, that's to be expected. Medical school doesn't prepare you for work as a junior doctor, but it does equip you with the basic skills and thought processes that you can use and build on. So shadowing is just like an induction to familiarise yourself with the ward, ward staff, IT systems, learn where you put your things, where you get changed, where the microwave is and so on. And make sure you know how to request investigations, how to bleep someone, how phoning through switch works, how you make referrals, how to put out a medical emergency or cardiac arrest call. And, you know, a few days of shadowing are going to be useful, but they're not going to turn you into competent doctor. That's the whole point of the foundation program. They're going to help you get used to your new environment and to get started. So on that note, what is expected from an FY1 doctor? Everybody knows that the new doctors will be starting this time of year and people know that you're fresh out of medical school and they should be happy to help and guide you and if anybody is rude or demeaning that's not okay. What is expected from you I suppose is that you're willing to learn, to pick up new skills and knowledge and to just help the ward run. So you'll be supporting seniors in ward rounds, maybe doing your own ward rounds, ordering and reviewing blood tests and scans, doing procedures such as venipuncture, cannulation, catheterization, having conversations with patients and relatives, reviewing sick patients and escalating appropriately to seniors. I mean, personally, I double checked this stuff a lot when I started. I still do. So, you know, don't feel bad. Some things that you will not be able to or expect to do as an F1 could be writing certain prescriptions of regulated drugs, signing DNA CPR forms, and you might be expected to initiate certain difficult conversations, but you shouldn't early on be the one breaking bad news as a completely fresh F1. So if you feel uncomfortable, double check that it's okay for you to be doing the thing. And remember that nobody is expecting you to be fully competent. 
resources. So there are some resources that are going to be useful to you on and off the board. And I'll try and link them in the episode description, but you can also find them linked on the blog post that goes with this episode. So there are some apps that you should have for day-to-day use. Induction for phone numbers and bleeps in your hospital. BNF for prescribing. Microguide for your local specialty medical and antibiotic guidelines. iResus isn't one that I use every day, but it's quite useful to have. BMJ Best Practice, the app is really good for information about conditions, investigations and management with treatment algorithms. Again, not one I used every day, but it's good peer-reviewed evidence. And Up to Date is also a really good app to have to search peer-reviewed evidence. There are also lots of good resources for learning about kind of doctoring for junior doctors and beyond. There's a free platform, Mind the Bleep, which is quite good. It's got a bunch of posts on it. It's got stuff like how to work on the ward, but also how to understand your payslip and so on. There's doctor Instagrammers, YouTubers, bloggers, and I suppose I could be counted as one of them. But there's always going to be help and more information out there. Your rights and obligations. Okay, so this one is so important. It's crucial that you know what you're expected to do, but also what you are not expected to do and what you are owed. So I'm not going to go too much into this. I'll link some stuff. The BMA has great information online, as does Mind the Bleep, which I mentioned earlier. Um, There's some basic things that you should make sure happen in terms of timings and of things. So you should receive your rotas six weeks in advance and your rota needs to be compliant with certain regulations. So you can't work more than a certain number of hours in a certain number of days and so on. You need to have appropriate rest after a night shift. And the BMA actually has a rota checker and it also has a contract checking service. And you also should be paid the same as your colleagues who are doing the same job. So, you know, if you feel comfortable, compare with your pay slips. That's a good way to find out if you're being paid the right amount. In return, there are some things that are expected of you in terms of requesting your annual leave at least six weeks in advance. But also remember that for bank holidays, you should be getting days off in lieu. So unless you're working a job like GP or psych, usually this means that you're going to get as many extra days off as there are bank holidays to take off in addition to your annual leave allowance of nine days per rotation. So even if you have a zero day on a bank holiday. And also just be sure to take all of your allocated leave because nobody's going to say, oh, thank you so much for, you know, working this day instead of taking it off. Like, no, you need to take your leave. That's very important. Just do it. And also make sure that you register with a defence organisation of your choosing. And the BMA is the union for doctors in the UK. And you can, you often, they often have deals on where you can join for free for the first few months. In terms of passing the year, you don't have to sit an exam, which is great, um, but you do need to complete a portfolio. So I work in England, which uses a portfolio called Horus. I think it's called Turas in Scotland. Basically, the principles are the same. You need to get seniors to sign you off or do different things. Check out the UK Foundation Programme website for that. Definitely try and work on your portfolio as you go along. Read up on what you need to do to pass and that way you know what you need. You can be more targeted in terms of the the sign-offs you're seeking out. Just be really proactive in asking about sign-offs. The worst that can happen is that someone will say no. Build a bit of a rapport with a senior on a shift 
and you know ask because everybody knows that you have to do them even registrars have to do stuff so um, it's, it's to be expected and you know if you've already discussed a management plan with someone that could end up being a CBD for example and in terms of reflections they can actually be really good to use if you've had a bad day or something like that to reflect on what, why is does it feel like a bad day how could it be better and also reflect on nice things that happen like if a patient has said something really nice to you make sure that you attend your teaching or catch up on it online and log everything in your portfolio basically there's lots of different components to the portfolio so it can feel quite overwhelming can feel quite stressful just read up on what you need to do early on and then you know what you need to achieve and how long you have to achieve that and then set aside you know an hour or two every few weeks just to work on your portfolio at least I would say asking for help so I am someone who isn't afraid to ask for help a lot at work but how about asking for help outside of work for struggling with health or finances so you know as a rule of thumb remember that nothing bad is going to happen if you ask for help people might think that it's a sign of weakness or something like that but you know it's the best thing to do only good can come of it because if you're not coping if you need adjustments it's not sustainable to just push yourself through work and then crash Some people, they might just experience a few bad days here and there, but many doctors and other healthcare professionals are known to deal with poor mental health conditions like depression. So help is available and please don't suffer in silence. There's lots of different people that you can rely on and reach out to depending on your circumstances and your place of work. Of course, you'll have your support network of colleagues, friends and family. There's your own doctor or people that you're already in touch with, your GP, your therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, if that's relevant. You have a clinical supervisor and an educational supervisor for the placement and for the year. And sometimes also there's like a well-being staff service. Um, There usually will be someone who is a foundation year coordinator that always emails you about lots of things and they might be good first port of call and they could signpost you onto something. There's a bunch of helplines, web chats like the BMA, 24-7 counselling, Samaritans, NHS has resources. I'm going to link all of this in the description. And, you know, similar things apply um, if you see someone else struggling. You can reach out to them and signpost them to where they can find more support. So looking after yourself as a junior doctor, you know, great, you made it to foundation year one and then you have to get through foundation year one, but it's not the end of things. You've got lots of years to go. So it's important to remember that work isn't everything. You're a human being who needs to function and, you know, not just function, you need to be thriving outside of work. So everybody's situation is different, but there are some modifiable lifestyle factors that I would like to empower you to influence so that you feel better equipped to take on your job and life outside of work. So on my podcast and on my website, I've got lots of different episodes and posts about the principles of lifestyle medicine and recipes. Um, I have an entire episode on sleep and night shift working that you should definitely also check out, which I'll link in the episode description. And then I've got a bunch of stuff about nutrition as well. But I'll briefly run through the pillars of lifestyle medicine here. Okay, so in terms of food, everybody knows about diet and exercise, right? So try and eat well, but you know, you also need to be eating foods for pleasure and for a sociable aspect. If you can, meal prep and batch cook things. You also need to make sure whether you have access to a microwave and a fridge or not. So there's some lunches that you can make that don't require heating up, like sandwiches, wraps, salads, or you could bring food to heat up, like leftovers and things from a batch cook. 
I have a little lunch box that's insulated and I usually put an ice pack in there so I basically have like a little mini fridge and I don't need to rely on an actual fridge. Um, and make sure that you've got snacks and fruits and dried fruit and nuts and, you know, treats like chocolate or whatever you like as well. Focus on increasing your whole foods and your diet. So whole grains, fruits, vegetables, pulses, nuts and seeds. And don't overdose on caffeine. So if you can, try to not rely on it too much. I mean, obviously that's up to you, but I personally feel like I prefer not having to have caffeine because that's, you know, another step in the way of me functioning normally in the morning. In terms of exercise, just move your body in a way you enjoy. Try to incorporate some resistance training. Go for walks to parks and green areas if you can. I love walking by the sea, which is here. And, you know, try to work around your shifts. I personally don't usually have the energy to get up early, so I would rather work out when I have a day off or something, but everybody's different. Sleep is so important, especially if you have to get up early to drive because it can be life-threatening to drive while you're sleep-deprived. So basically, just start to prioritise sleep. It can make a massive difference to your life, and I'd recommend you listen to my episode on this. Stress management. So you need to have a few things that you can rely on when things get tough. So, you know, for some people, it might be those basic things like meditation, yoga, walks in nature, or just talking to people, your colleagues, your friends, your family. You need to find ways of unwinding, basically, and looking after yourself. And you also need to have a fun time. So... A lot of people will be moving to a new place and meeting new people, which is great. Be sociable, but also don't feel, you know, fear of missing out and don't let that take over because sometimes you just need to have a quiet night in to replenish yourself and that's okay. And of course, be careful with risky substances like alcohol. And that's basically it for my section on preparing for F1 and life outside of work. So now it's on to part two. Part two is all about tips and tricks for actually working as an F1. So I'm going to cover what does a typical day look like? How do you get your job done? How do you work within teams with seniors? How do you manage on calls, nights, asking for help at work, breaks, working late, exception reporting and dealing with difficult situations? So what does a typical day look like well this is going to vary hugely depending on what hospital and ward you're working on and also bear in mind that I have an experience that's specific to England shadowing is a good time to just try and suss out what your typical day would look like and if you're rotating onto a new specialty in four months time or eight months time you can always ask colleagues that are working on different wards before just like kind of hey you know what's it like working on gastro or whatever In general, on a medical or surgical ward, you can expect to basically start your day with prepping for the ward rounds, updating lists, prepping notes, chasing and reviewing imaging and blood test results, supporting seniors during your ward rounds or doing your own ward rounds, having conversations with patients and relatives and reviewing sick patients. You'll also be talking lots to other specialties for advice and referrals. You'll be helping with patient flow through the hospital and that involves stuff like making sure you've written discharge summaries and all of that stuff. And you'll be communicating constantly with members of the MDT, the multidisciplinary team. So that's pharmacists, physios, occupational therapists, specialist nurses, dietitians, porters, site managers, radiographers and so on and so forth. While you're on the take, so working and clerking new patients, you'll be seeing new patients in A&E or ambulatory care. You'll be taking history and examining them and then initiating management plan, all while supervised by seniors and discussing with seniors. 
And after the kind of main hours, so out of hours after five, there usually is reduced staffing. So some people refer to this as being on call. So, for example, in my care of the elderly job, I was expected to cover the geriatric wards after five o'clock until the night team then takes over about eight. So during this time, I would basically review animal patients, chase anything urgent and answer bleeps from nurses. At night, you're generally covering the entire hospital in some way with reduced staffing and things are a bit different. But you shouldn't be on your own as an F1 doctor. So there usually is, you know, an SHO and a registrar about. And if you need help urgently, there's always, you know, a medical emergency. That's an option. Similar to the on-call, you'll be answering nurses' bleeps with requests to review patients or prescribe drugs. And not everything that you're asked to do is urgent and needs to be done. And you're going to get better at, you know, identifying this with experience. Um, because I often would just do things that maybe weren't necessary just to be nice. But I wouldn't always advise doing that. Um... On call, stick to your ATE framework when you're assessing patients and if you feel unsure, you can chat things through with a senior or if it's urgent, you know, escalate it uh, as appropriate. And at night, the critical care outreach team can be really helpful as well. When it comes to managing sleep and rest and eating on a night shift, once again, I'm going to redirect you to my episode with the consultant, Dr. Farkar, who's a sleep specialist. I will link some further stuff there. I'm not going to go too much into night shifts here. In terms of staying organized, some people might wonder if they need to get any particular equipment for work. Um, I think it depends on your hospital and uh, whether you have electronic notes or not. But basically, make sure you've got some good clothes with pockets or scrubs. Um, Some people have bum bags, uh, if that's your vibe. Make sure you have lots of pens and some, you know, a notebook or something to write on. I will usually just take um, some blank sheets of paper and fold them up. Make sure you have snacks, make sure you have some water. And just make sure that you stay on top of what you need to do. You basically, I think, need to master the jobs list for you. You need to make sure that it is the way that you like it and that you note stuff down so that you don't forget to do it. So, you know, write down jobs as soon as you can at the time they are generated during the word round. If a senior is going too quickly, just ask them to slow down because at the end of the day, it's going to save both of you time if you just take some time to make sure that you note down everything that needs to be done. The way that I do a list is normally I'm just going to write down the patient's name, age, hospital number, their location, and maybe jot down a few words about what's going on with them to help me remember who they are. And then I'll write the job. So for example, Chase CT report, and then I'll draw an empty square next to it. The square I will fill in when the job is done. And if it's something where you can sort of half do a job, I will half fill it in and then I fill it in fully when it's done. I hope that makes sense. Part of why being a doctor is fun is working with other people, working within teams. There's the MDT and then there's the doctors that you work with. It's very important to respect everybody's role in the MDT and to know what people can do to make everything more efficient. So, for example, find out which nurses can cannulate and do casters. And can the pharmacists help you with preparing medications for discharge summaries? But remember to be kind and courteous and helpful to your colleagues, karma and all of that. Offer to help when appropriate within your own role, but also don't do other people's jobs for them because that's not a good use of anybody's time. It's important to build good relationships with everyone and we're part of a team and everybody has a role to play. In terms of working with your other junior doctor colleagues, you need to find you know your own balance, which works. And that depends on the job, the ward, the workload, your colleagues. 
but basically you should be working a similar amount and help each other out. A good question to ask if you notice that someone is swamped is what can I help with to make you leave on time today? Obviously if there's issues all the time where one person is working more maybe you should have a chat amongst yourselves and try and work that out or escalate if necessary. And you know if you learn something new that might be useful for others in terms of you know how the process of ordering a scan or something how that works share it with people or if you found something that everybody's been looking for in the storeroom just tell them oh yes this is where they keep the butterfly needles or whatever. I've also been asked how do I navigate relationships with seniors and I think that should be fairly straightforward. I think sometimes people can be referring to people that have like a quote-unquote difficult personality or something like that. Some people are just a bit more eccentric or different but I think it should just be like any relationship, you know, be respectful, be useful, show some interest, be helpful but ultimately you shouldn't be, you know, bending over backwards to cater to someone's specifics or um, if you find that you're struggling with a senior colleague and you're already doing your best, is that because of something that you're doing or is it because of them? Remember that bullying and harassment is never okay. So basically, do your job well, show some interest. And if you feel if someone's being difficult with you or mean, you know, something else might be going on. So solve it locally or discuss with your colleagues or your supervisors as appropriate. Another quick note on help. So... If you need help at work, it's always the right thing to do to ask for it. So you can discuss things with your F1 colleagues or an SHO, then registrar, then consultant on call. And if you're on your own and just need more people quickly and you feel like things are escalating and it's an urgent situation, again, you know, remember that a medical emergency call put through a switchboard is appropriate. Sometimes things can wait and you just need advice and a senior review. If that's not imminently, just be clear when you're asking for help. So if you phone someone, tell them, you know, I'm phoning you for advice because I'm worried about this patient or I would like you to come and review this patient. Ask for what you need and then it's up to the other person to take things from there. Trust your gut. Don't feel like you need to know everything or that you have anything to prove. You're here to learn. Now, this is one of the most important things, I think, when looking back on my F1 and talking to new F1s. You need to know some things about breaks, working late and exception reporting. You need to take your breaks. There's always going to be more things to do and at some point you need to take a break. Ideally, you should be doing the urgent jobs first, then taking your break or initiate some jobs that maybe, you know, will take some time and then take a break. You're entitled to a 30 minute break every day, two 30 minute breaks if you've got a shift that's over nine hours and actually three 30 minute breaks for shifts over 12 hours. I'm going to link something where you can read more about junior doctor contract entitlements. And don't stay late because nobody's going to thank you for going above and beyond. Of course, sometimes you're going to find yourself in a situation where nobody's there for you to hand over and you're dealing with someone who's urgently sick and it's an emergency. But in reality, most things can wait. The hospital is a 24 hour service and you should be able to hand over and go home on time. So don't stay late. Also, don't work when you're sick similar thing nobody's going to thank you for it just make sure that you've looked up how to phone in sick in the process for that if for any reason you're not taking your entitled breaks and you're not leaving on time it's important that you do this thing called exception reporting so basically it's what it sounds it's reporting an exception it's normally done online and it highlights that you had to leave late or that you didn't get break or that you didn't get to leave on time for teaching 
And basically this highlights to the department that maybe there's staffing issues or something. And then that will serve as proof when the trust seeks funding for more junior doctor posts. But also it means that you in the very near future will actually get paid for your work. So you'll get paid over time. You can also get time off instead. But basically, realistically, it will probably be logistically hard to get time off. So just ask for money instead. Um, some people have reported instances of feeling intimidated or bullied or discouraged from exception reporting but you, there are ways around this there's normally a guardian of safe working and basically this is something that you just have to do it's very much worth it for you for your peers for people coming after you and I'll link some more stuff about exception reporting so in summary don't spend your free time working over and if you do end working over time don't do it for free Finally, I just wanted to mention a few difficult situations to just have a think about, mentally prepare for maybe, that you might not have thought about. So first of all, you're going to deal with death and with dying patients. You'll have to verify deaths and this can feel very scary and creepy if you've never had to deal with it before. So take your time, speak to a senior colleague if you feel, you know, if you feel scared about it and there's lots of resources and help you can get with just coming to terms with this. Secondly, you might encounter patients or relatives who are difficult, as in they might be very rude to you or criticise you as a person unfairly. They might say that you're, you know, a bad doctor, threaten to sue you or whatever. (laughs) Maybe not sue you because it's not America, but they might threaten with complaints and things like that. They might be verbally aggressive or abusive or even physically threatening. So it's important to know when to leave a situation and how to de-escalate and debrief with a senior, basically, if it affects you. Thirdly, I sort of touched on this. You may encounter colleagues that people might describe as difficult or having difficult personalities. Sometimes you have to work with people that are, (laughs) that do just have difficult personalities or whatever, and you just need to learn to not take things personally and just let it roll off you. But don't tolerate bullying, harassment, constant undermining. Escalate and get help if needed and things aren't getting better. And that's the end of this episode. That was a bit of an overview of different areas where I felt I had some wisdom to impart. I definitely have a lot to learn myself. But I think I've become a bit more confident in who I am and my value within the system and what my role is. And if there is a demand for it, I would be more happy to produce more specific content in terms of tips for medical students and junior doctors. Check out the show notes with links to anything mentioned in the episode on lindadoes.com forward slash widlimbs24. I have written quite a long blog post to go with this. Remember to follow me at widlimbs on Instagram and Twitter in order to stay up to date and give me feedback. I would love to hear from you. If you enjoyed it, do share this episode and other episodes around. I massively appreciate it when you do. I hope you have a lovely rest of the day no matter where you are and what you're doing. And I'll catch you again in another episode. Bye!